0: If there's one thing all of us need right now, it's self-care. People have all kinds of ideas about what self-care means. For some, it's eating healthy and getting enough sleep, prayer and daily meditation, exercise, or brewing some tea right before bed. In fact, almost any activity we can think of can be considered self-care. Paradoxically though, A lot of people find themselves more anxious after engaging in what are touted as self-care activities, finding there's still just as much to do once their care session is done. In this first season finale, we come full circle from our discussion in Episode 1 about living in a way that seeks the good. We'll explore how to care for ourselves, examine some principles that guide us towards knowing exactly how to know what we need and discover that happiness can lie in how you live your journey. We even made up a few words along the way. Welcome to another episode of Doorward Thinking. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm your host, Nate LeBlanc, and we're back with the team seeking better ways to think about life and work. Each week, we'll open a new door in our search for clarity as we consider the intersections of art, science, and the human spirit. Once again, we're on Zoom this time. It's our last podcast of the year with the whole team. So we get ready to celebrate the holidays and start fresh in the new year. I'm in the home studio right now. I'm in a hoodie staying warm on this frosty morning. The tree and the stockings are up. And the rest of the team is here in St. Louis. We have Dan, a.k.a. Jake. Welcome to the show,
1: Jake. Hey, good to be here. Why am I in a shirt and tie and you're in a hoodie? That's I want to know.
0: You must have a meeting today.
1: Many meetings.
0: I'm I'm dressed comfortably for the show. Oh, I'm in my space, there. my element. Good. It's my uniform, definitely.
1: Awesome. Good to be here.
0: It says Dorward on the back of his uniform. It's okay, <laughs> Nate. You're gonna have to turn around. Also with us today is Stephen Eit. Welcome to the show, Steve. Hey hey hey, Nate. Merry Christmas, man. Merry Christmas.
2: Oh, it's coming fast, isn't it? And the new year right around the corner.
1: Goodbye.
0: Bye bye. Twenty twenty one. And joining us once again, good to have him back on the show. Lots of things going on in his life, but he can make time for us today.
3: Welcome back, Matt Clem. Hey, it's good to be here, Nate. It's been a while. So it's, it's awesome to be back with you guys. I'm looking forward to it. For sure. For sure. Really good to have you with us.
0: So last time on the show, we talked about the importance of knowing yourself and some of the steps that people can take to do that. Today, we're going to talk about some practical uses for knowing yourself and how it can help you to care for yourself and for others. So we're going to go back to our friend Socrates and his quote, my friend care for your psyche, know thyself. For once we know ourselves, we may learn how to care for ourselves. So what Socrates is asserting is that with self-awareness, we can decide upon and choose actions that will help us to live full and balanced lives. And like we said last time, the way to do that is to reflect on our strengths and weaknesses, get internal feedback from introspection and external feedback from others, and to have principles, such as the truth, guiding us. I don't know about you, but to me, it seems like that can be absolutely exhausting. In the midst of all the work and effort, we need to take care of ourselves. So I'll open it up here. How do we do that?
2: Well, um, first off, I just want to get in by saying sometimes I feel like, you know, everybody's just balancing between self-care and self-destruction. So it's definitely a fine line of order and chaos in one's life to begin with. And I I think that's the first element of truth that you can't evade. It's you're going to be in that order and chaos state always. There's going to be some things that are rolling perfectly and some things that aren't. What's this self-destruction you're talking about, Steve? you know it, it could be anything just from being neglectful of you know taking care of yourself right just just negligate negligating neg- is that a word <laughs> did i just make that up <laughs> Not,
1: a word. not
0: a word. it's not Sorry. a
2: bad one <laughs> negligating
3: <laughs> negating negating
2: the contraction of
0: negligating
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah forgetting to take care of yourself is one element and forgetting to help and take care of other people around you as well can also be a self-destructive nature so there's a lot of different ways you can go about that, Nate.
3: I think that's a, a really interesting point you're making about self-destruction versus like self-help in the context of self-care. It's important maybe to also discuss what we mean by self-care or what that actually is. That could be a lot of different things of how it's commonly used, how what it really should mean. But I think, and maybe we'll get into this more later sometime, It's what people think of as self-care could actually be self-destructive.
2: Defining self-care, I think, is what we should do, man. Let's try to pin this down.
0: Yeah, so the ancient idea of self-care that was pushed by Socrates, Plato, and some of the other philosophers was that you needed to put in the work to mold your body and your mind in such a way that you would be of benefit to everyone around you. And so it creates this duality of wellness, of being, where the individual is at their highest peak mentally, physically, and everything else. And because of that, the state can reach its highest peak or or ascend more with that individual being at their best. That was the ancient notion of self-care.
1: Sure, sure. So that the the collective will benefit from the individuals each taking care of themselves. I think it's interesting. We're kind of coming back in a sense full circle, not just to Socrates, but also uh, this is in this last little bit, um, this idea of, okay, how do we take care of ourselves? It's by knowing ourselves. and, And then from there, looking for that more objective vision of ourselves. And and I think that's where you kind of introduce that idea of truth, right? There's one me that I'm supposed to be, and there are not like, you know, in a sense, two actions that flow from that. One would be that self-care, taking care of me, allowing me to be more me, allowing me to be happier or healthier, etc. cetera. That's the other, Dan.
0: That's Dan, right?
1: <laughs> the other, that's, that's Jake, right? That is uh, the self-destructive you know, side. <laughs> is that what you're getting at?
3: Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. So, yeah, that's the that's the the ancient idea. When I think about what, a, what self-care means in a modern context, that is not what I think of at all. Um, or at least um, most people probably think of, I think. These days, they think of what can they do to uh, indulge themselves or, you know, kind of escape the, the hard realities of life. Well, I mean, we need to have a reprieve from time to time, right? I don't necessarily think it's all negative or unproductive, but I I think kind of in a modern context, they've forgotten that, you know, that focus on truth of how are they objectively and, you know, what do they need to do to, to help themselves?
0: So here's an example Uh, we mentioned last time that I am in the process of learning how to play chess like I said, as a chess player, I'm not very good at it right now. Uh, I'm learning.
1: You're not very good at it yet.
0: That's right. I'm not very, I'm not very good at it yet, but I am learning. Um, It's not just the goal of being a great chess player one day, but it's the process of learning how to play chess that brings so many good things into my life. So for instance, it's, it satisfies the strategic need that I have. I, I have a very strategy oriented brain. It also gives me something that has a huge knowledge base that I can grow in. And I I love growth. I love learning and I love applying what I learn. It also gives me community. The ability to play a game with my neighbor uh, one evening or the the ability to join a community online and play a game anytime. It gives me a lot of things. And the methods that I, I use to do this are in books, the board that I have in my house, chess.com, watching videos on YouTube. So I'm still using the same means that a lot of people use for their self care, but the game itself and the growth in the game is opening up so many other avenues and is helping me develop part of my person. Yeah, I was just going to say
2: that that, that you know, that's taken multiple aspects. That's taking care of yourself in multiple ways, like not just like personal desires of improving at chess, but, you know, also your family, friends and relationships that you're building around there.
3: Uh, another important point you made there was that you're taking an action for a specific end, not for the action of itself. Right. And I think sometimes people think like I'm going to do this self-care routine or this self-care thing because like that action by itself it equals self-care. When really it should be what am I trying to achieve by this if taking that time for yourself for, for whatever thing you're doing, is it just about self-care for the sake of self-care? Or is there some some aspect you're addressing?
1: I don't know if people really think like that. They associate certain activities, you know, yoga or whatever, right? <laughs> like, you know, people associate self-care with certain activities precisely because they already have a connection in their mind, maybe the the benefit that's going to come from that I, I do think that there is there is like that danger of sort of slipping into a little bit of like a comfort seeking or complacency or like you said we're saying at the beginning sort of like a am looking for the escape of my day-to-day hardships as opposed to this this idea of of a sense looking for that personal growth it's just sort of like this you know placebo band-aid kind of thing.
0: I think it's really easy to get caught up in everything that is being promoted whether it's in social media or different advertisements on ways to take care of yourself. A recent article on healthline.com says that a lot of doctors and therapists are seeing their patients come in with the perspective of self-care having a checklist. I need to do this exercise. I need to go on a walk to clear my thoughts, I need to have that relaxing time doing whatever, taking a bath, having a massage, etc. They're finding that a lot of people are experiencing anxiety, trying to cross everything off of the checklist. So whereas that time to relax, that massage, it could be good and there's a real benefit to being relaxed and coming back refreshed, If the mindset is that I have to do this thing in the midst of everything else, it just becomes something else to add to your day and your routine.
1: It becomes self-destructive by which, you know, carrying out this checklist of supposedly, you know, good activities or not supposedly, but but things that could be helpful, but in a sense with the wrong mindset, uh, those activities even become self-destructive.
3: Yeah, and I think there's a an element of prudence in all of this because something in one circumstance or for a certain duration might be useful, but in a different circumstance or a, a different duration might be self-destructive. Uh, say you like to play video games, that's a way that you can kind of clear your head, not think about things, just relax. In certain amounts, that can actually probably be pretty helpful. But if that's just a way that you escape some challenges in your life, you're not making any long-term progress you know ultimately that's probably more destructive than helpful in the long run right
2: yeah um you know really looking at this there's definitely a balance when it comes to self-care in all areas of your life you're not always focused on every single one at the same time so while you're focused on one one may be falling behind but you know that's not necessarily a bad thing um because you got to take care of something else and push that ball forward so it's a lot of it is paying respect to the whole of yourself and realizing that like you are your personal responsibility. Kind of what I'm getting from everybody, I kind of get this definition such that I am my responsibility and I will give glory to myself such that improvements I make in all areas of my life are reflected improvements in those lives around us. And I think that's kind of a good jumping off point for defining self-care
0: how do you define the word glory um
2: so respect essentially kind of a celebration an amalgamation of words right so really taking the person as a whole right that that was that last aspect i think i was looking for in our conversation i was like boom that hit me like so giving glory to you know your body your life
0: your family your friends You're saying taking actions that embrace the fullness and the goodness of your person? Mm -hmm. Is that
3: what you mean? Yep, the wholeness of the human. And what was the last part you were saying about it being reflected in others?
2: Yeah, so like those improvements are reflected in those lives around us. So like, you know, we improve something that elevates everybody else around us.
3: I think that's a good point. I think it that kind of helps to reconcile this idea of self-care, being focused on yourself versus you should be other-focused. And in order to give of yourself to others, there needs to be something to give, right?
0: Yeah, and I think it ties in really nicely. Jake, you alluded to it earlier, but the Socrates quote from episode one, he says, we're searching for the good and the good is that thing at which all things aim. So, the link that I'm making is taking care of ourselves in a way that benefits everyone is a good thing and it needs to be undertaken.
1: Yeah. For sure, for sure. I'm glad you brought that actual quote back in here, Nate. It, it definitely highlights the fact that when we are seeking the good for ourselves, you know, giving respect to where respect is due, even our own person that it is aimed at some larger good, whether that's the common good of our society, right? As, as Matt was just pointing to, and I think in other ways as well, where this good, this self-care always has uh, a direction, I maybe mean, a direction outwards versus that that self-destruction that Steve was talking about is kind of directed inwards.
2: You know, I think, I think both, um, they both start inwards, but those inwards, always 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 start impacting everybody else around you anything you do really is impactful to everybody else maybe you know drinking that soda isn't all that bad right now but what happens if you got diabetes in a couple years from drinking too much who does that impact
3: now
1: no man is an island where's that from some man wiser than myself said it i was
3: gonna say i think it's an interesting question just looking at the world around us now do we think that there needs to be much more self-care is that something that's lacking in society
1: i think that we see instances of this all over like we've talked about before people making the choice this job is no longer good for me therefore i'm quitting i'm resigning that's it word (laughs) i think in other ways there are some disturbing trends where people are perhaps seeking themselves in ways that are more destructive, even though they're looking for some good in those actions, there's going to be some harmful side effects. Maybe not side effects, it has, it has a main effect of harmful, even though there is, there's some good aspect uh, into what they're pursuing. Well,
0: Jake, to be fair, I think that it really comes back to something that we've talked about in the past. And I wish Pete was here because I know he would hammer it in. But again, locus of control. Am I doing something because I feel I need to do something, whether that is to experience what other people are experiencing, to fit in, to hope that the things on the checklist are really going to make a difference in my life, or am I taking the onus on myself to dig deep and say, this is what I need, and this is how getting that thing, achieving that thing, doing that thing is then going to help the others around me.
1: That's well, so what I was going to kind of ask before. Like, so you're able to step back and realize that chess is a good self care activity for you because you know some things about yourself. And then, even from there, just like maybe experience in the first time that you. Played chess. And you thought, oh, like you saw that that met some needs, that here is is something I can see the effects from it. And you can deduce back that here was an activity of self-care. I should do more of this. I need more of this in my life. And they start looking for ways to make that to happen.
0: Exactly. And like I said earlier, I, I can do the same kinds of activities that would be self-destructful to someone else it's all about how it's oriented right so I could start sco- scrolling through social media looking at Instagram reels or go down the the black hole of YouTube videos looking at things and consuming things that aren't taken back outwards or I could I could spend you know some time learning about new opening techniques or ways to develop my pieces and then put that into a game with my neighbor. So the activity can be exactly the same. And I don't want it to sound like we're saying like, oh, don't take the massage. Don't, don't watch those YouTube videos because that's not the case. It's about what you do with it afterwards.
2: Yeah. I I think there's something important that you're um, hitting on here. When you're trying to balance everything and one gets out of proportion and you're going to start feeling this tension, right? When things start getting out of balance, there's going to be tensions in your life and they'll start showing up and they'll start bubbling up here and there whether that's like, oh no, maybe now you're not on top of your laundry. Um your house isn't completely clean anymore. Oh, you haven't seen your friend in 2 months cuz you forgot to give him a call, you jack
0: wagon. Thanks for censoring yourself so I don't have to click the explicit button when
3: I upload this later today. We are a family-friendly <laughs> show, family-friendly show. You know what you're saying there, Steve. I 100% agree with. I would also add that sometimes that lack of balance and those tensions aren't immediately obvious and I think sometimes people think of the rest and relaxation part but not the bigger picture.
2: Yeah, no doubt. And I and I think one thing that you could do with everything if you want to get super analytical, you could set objectives in your life and then you could set tolerance scores so like, oh, here's the minimum acceptable that I want 80% my house is 80% clean or something versus you know, objective, you want 100% clean. So having some type of scale and get intimate with your numbers and actually know if you're improving something. How many times are you calling your friend per month? Like there's little metrics that you can start measuring and, you know, take a look at that and see what happens in your life if you start measuring something, you know?
1: I think it can provide a nice uh, perspective, but ultimately like it's going to come from uh, an inner reality of like, I want my house to be clean or, I want to call this friend. It, the only way we can really do things on a consistent long-term basis is, is having that like benevolence. But it is interesting to think about um, sort of those metrics, right? Because obviously those metrics are going towards something, right? You You want to measure because there's a goal, right? Like you just said, there's a goal that I've set for myself. And that's a bigger question, right?
2: Well, it makes it real is the thing, right? It makes something real. You can put something on paper and you can say, hey, was this improved or was this not improved? You get, you get to review that after some time, right?
3: That's time series data that we get. And Dan, I mean, I think that's, a, that's an excellent point. That's eventually where you want to be with, a, with all the good things. But I also say that in the meantime, for the things that you actually really don't want to do but you are good to do and you should do that having some practical step that you can kind of help to get into a habit maybe, or just something to hold you accountable can be a good step on the way there of, of building that, that true desire for, for the
1: good. For sure. For sure.
0: Yeah. And is that something that we just need to do on our own or can we put little things in our life as reminders? For instance, my mother, about a month ago, she sent a little package and in it was just a note saying, "Yeah, you know, like, Hey, thinking about you, love you. And that was, you know, very warm and very precious, but she also sent a dish towel that said, don't forget to call your mother, <laughs> um, which is great because we're three guys, <laughs>
3: we're
0: three guys who are really busy doing things all over the place. And that dish towel sits on our little oven like handle. To pull it open and that serves as a visible reminder <laughs> call your mom your mom loves you
1: that's awesome i hope you took the hint nate i think definitely these reminders are good and helpful i think uh, it's peter drucker who says that one of the best things you can do and he's he's like a business management expert from about two decades ago but i think a lot of what he says still applies. And he talks about the benefit, of making those goals and then reviewing them. I think that's why we do the daily scrum. Why we talk about, okay, what did I want to do? What have I done? And then, you know, that he says, and he points to some interesting examples throughout history in his book about how that propels tremendous growth because compounding effects in someone's life
3: sitting down and yeah, like making making goals, establishing metrics, um, just taking some time to plan can really help also to bring some balance there. Looking backwards, you can see how, what kind of balance you're able to maintain. Maybe you can see that if say, you know, if you're tracking metrics, like you were able to, to do really well in these areas, but then you can see the the consequence of doing poorly in other areas and, you know, using it to look forward and, and kind of, you know, seeing maybe how you, how you can adjust things. Um, I, I don't want to give the idea that I think, you know, you really need to just reduce your every moment of your life to, to scheduled out effort and, and being super analytical. I think that would be exhausting, but, um, well,
0: that's what our friend Jeed would say.
3: <laughs>
2: Are you telling me to schedule unscheduled events? In my calendar? Is that is that,
3: is that <laughs> yeah. I need to take up now? That's what I'm saying. You shouldn't do. But I, I I think it's undeniable that there are high returns for not just flying by the seat of your pants and not just solely depending upon uh what you think in the moment is the best the best way to use your time and you know putting putting that in, you know, the the current the current period and context with with your goals and, and kind of where you're trying to get to. I think that's how you make long-term progress versus short-term progress
2: yeah i think i think what you and dan just hit on there is really good and i just want to give the definition to everybody it's called compound interest and is the interest on a loan or deposit calculated based on both the initial principal and the accumulated interest from previous periods so if you think about day in day out think about those as your periods what are you putting in every day what are you depositing
3: right and and then you know as you as you you know, maybe for a specific example about if you're trying to build a skill or 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 work on a project, or you know, as you go on, then the subsequent periods of time, you're making even more progress, right? And and you're even be more effective um, with that same amount of time because of that compounding effect.
0: Oh, yeah. it's totally true. Yeah. Totally true. What I'm seeing is when I'm doing some daily drills, like you know, I'll set my work aside for a little bit. Uh, take a little bit of break and go on to the daily puzzle. And what I'm seeing is that I'm able to morph several lessons into one board and come up with moves two or three or four moves ahead of time, thinking about what's going to happen. I couldn't do that when I started about a month ago, but now I'm able to. I'm not sure you're working. Are you do you work or do you just sit in your PJs in the morning? I sit in my PJs, <laughs> play chess and record podcasts. Well,
1: it's interesting. You you uh, bring up that point, Dave, in a funny way. I was thinking about our discussion of you know work life harmony, right? So are we starting to even put self-care in the work category and work on the other side? And I think that would be a mistake. What if we examine here for a second some of the self-care aspects that actually come from our work? super interesting to see how that even like unfolds in my own life. You know, I identify I should be a more magnanimous person. And then every day in my work, I am given invitations to grow in magnanimity. And so how awesome is that? Right. That right through that experience, we can become that truer self that we that we want to be, that we identify, that we even maybe, you know, spend time examining, you know, looking at every day with those little objectives and metrics comes right from there, too. Right. So I just mentioned that because I don't want to confuse myself with thinking that, you know, uh, we got work on one side of the scale and then we got Pilates, manicures. And uh poker night on the
3: other side. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I mean, I just think about, you know, in my own, you know, work experience, that's a way that can really help make the work more enjoyable, fulfilling. It's to see like some of the things I'm working on, you know, especially the maybe the broader softer skills it's necessary to develop for that job are super useful and 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 important to know all aspects of my life and to see that the time and effort put in in my work is also you know important to my life and and you know kind of to what your your point about the work-life harmony not necessarily um a, a balance and opposition right there's that overlap
1: talk about that intention right that we were talking about before what is what are these activities oriented to
3: Right. And, you know, even even just the work itself, like, are you working hard for yourself for the, the recognition or is it, you know, to help the company, which helps the employees, which helps their families and, you know, helps your own families, helps society or, you know, something larger than yourself.
0: So the Japanese have a concept that kind of wraps in everything that we've been talking about together. Uh, it is the concept of Ikigai. And you can think of it as an intersection uh, a four circle Venn diagram, think of it that this way, an intersection of the things that we love, the things that we're good at, the things that we can get paid for, Important. and the things that the world needs. So you put all those four circles together and in the middle, there's an intersection point or, or, or a, a range where all four of those things overlap. And when you're at that point, you have found your ikigai, which is your reason for living, your reason for being.
3: In Japanese culture, one thing that that makes me wonder about is that ikigai um, a particular thing, um, such as a a occupation, or is it a you know like a, a state of being, like your whole life? Like once you're you know, is it a, a one kind of particular action?
1: Well, I think it. it just based on the definition that Nate gave, I would think that you can't stay in that space. Even just you take the one circle of the things that I'm good at, like that is always going to change. And, and you know, of course, my next thought goes to things that the world needs, that's always changing too. Um, and maybe things that I <laughs> can get paid for you know, and my interest, right? All these things are constantly changing. And so that can't be a place that I, you know, okay, once I find that spot, okay, I'm good. I'm gonna stay there forever. Don't need to like try to find that spot again because maybe the moment we found it, we've already, you know, got out of it. And I don't know if that's exactly like the definition of ikigai, it was reminding me of the French word for son d'entrée, the reason for my existence. What a beautiful concept that the Japanese have come up with here. I love that.
0: Yeah, and, and that's the beauty of, of ikigai, is that as those things change, we can also change to find our new ikigai. So, for instance, once that purpose is achieved, you may continue on to work in that purpose and that purpose can fulfill all of those four subsets, all of those four areas. But in the case where one of those subset changes, then then your reason for living, your purpose has also changed. The Japanese concept is, is not once you've found it, you're done. It's that Your Ikigai is whatever it needs to be at any moment for all four of those areas to be fulfilled. YouTube influencer Seichi Arata says that there are five steps to a person finding their Ikigai. First, they need to start small. And... That's getting rid of the ideas of grandeur that whatever I'm going to do, it's going to be large and world changing such that everybody is going to know me and what I do. It's it's not about that. We have to start small and be comfortable with the small actions. Once we do that, we need to really reflect on what we want in life and remove any desires or habits that are opposed to what we identify as our Ikigai. And we break free from those ideas that hold us down. The third step is to seek harmony. Like we've talked about before, living in a way where everything fits together, where like Steve mentioned, we're not doing anything that's going to cause that tension. We keep things in their proper place for the proper time the people that are going to help us grow, have those relationships that are wholesome and that give us life. The fourth step is to find joy in the little things. He says that we need to get away from the notion of conditioning our happiness to the fulfillment of great goals. Because if we're always striving for a goal and we think, once I have that goal, I will be happy, We quickly look for another goal and we live our lives in an almost constant state of unenjoyment. And the fifth thing, he says, to be present in the here and now, to enjoy the journey, something that Steve mentions all the time. So really this mindset of Ikigai is in freeing ourselves from the things that are keeping us from our true self that help us get up in the morning, to know that whatever we do is going to make a difference and fulfill my person.
2: So in a sense, I think everyone is indirectly going and aiming for Ikigai. It feels like, you know, when we dive into this concept, it feels like that's what most people are always kind of trying to achieve indirectly, whether we've known it or not. There's a lot of truth to having a balance there and achieving kind of that satisfaction delight and fulfillment excitement and comfortability that like life has to offer so yeah I, I really like that nate
3: i think it's it's interesting the one uh the one of those circles of what the world needs you know and that's kind of the part that connects doing what you're good at and what you're you know what you're paid for and what you love is more inward self-focused and but then connecting that to the world but i would also say when i think of the word world i think of like the actual world and it's probably important to think smaller first and i think that was one of the rules but rule number one yeah of what you know where you can make a, a impact and locally you know, within your your relationships first, uh, maybe the the your local community, your region. I think that's really important to keep in mind.
2: I think initially, yeah, it's a good step. Um, you know, when you're focusing on the small things, I don't I don't like that when you start thinking bigger because you got to start expanding that circle, right? Sorry. But yeah, initially, I think initially it's a green light for sure.
3: I think we should make a distinction between things could be, you know, close to you that are big. You know, there's like kind of maybe a geographical idea of, of further out, you know, more people that's bigger, but obviously in, in a lot of ways, the, the people and things that are closest to you are, are maybe the should be the biggest things.
1: Yeah. Sometimes we call things big that really aren't big. And what's coming to mind right now is like, you know, When you get home from Matt work and you smile at Damien, like Mm -hmm. that is the biggest thing in your world that you can do.
3: Right. Oh, yeah. I know you do that. (laughs) And
1: so like this idea of like, well, you know, quote unquote, starting small, right? Like that potentially even like extraordinary heroism depending on the day that you
3: had. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I guess
1: you could say sometimes
3: the small things are the big things.
0: Well, those small things start in knowing what really matters. Right. And that's where that time to step back and reflect and to know thyself really comes in
3: clutch. Right. And in some ways the, you know, there's this difference between the, the size of the importance and the size of the effort. And it's amazing. Some of those, when you have big importance, small effort, like smiling at, uh, my son, right, like super small effort, but that's big impact.
1: Or extreme effort. I mean, no,
3: not really, honestly. No. It's it's almost involuntary.
0: We'll talk about reframing everything to be effortless soon. Yeah. So I, I think it in the end, it all comes down to what is that guiding principle that's going to help set in motion all of the changes that we talked about to form the habits, to take the care, to rise up and be that hero in that difficult moment. And to me, it all comes down to the search for truth. Mahatma Gandhi once said, even if you are a minority of one, the truth is the truth. And to wrap up our conversation that we've had these last three weeks, in knowing yourself, in not giving in to some peer pressure, like we saw in the Solomon-Ash line experiments that we talked about with Nick a few weeks ago. The basis for our reflection, I think, has to start with understanding and seeking the truth. Is that an accurate statement?
1: I think so. Um, I mean, you think about, and there's been a couple of times people have mentioned social media today, and where my mind goes to sometimes uh, when you hear about social media is the extreme lie that people are living in those environments pretending to be somebody they're not to impress people that they don't like you know whatever, whatever the expression is right i think there's reason for that right um, but they you know end up pursuing a self that is not theirs so in contrast to like living out this lie, of course we have to run the other direction and find out this huge question, you know, where does the truth lie? Not trying to do a play on words there, you know, where is the truth?
2: <laughs> the perfect note to end it on. <laughs> where does the truth lie?
0: <laughs> I know I mentioned it several times, but Steve, that sounds a lot like what you were talking about earlier that in living or portraying somebody that we're not that's when the tension creeps in
2: yeah yeah once you start living in accordance with who you are things become a lot easier and that that you know essentially becomes effortless in your life so things aren't as much of a barrier and when you start acting in accordance with truth to who you are things really do start falling into place
1: and I think that's happiness at the end of the day, where we have this subconscious reality inside that we could call, like, I like the way I'm living. What's happiness if it's not that?
0: It's the harmony. It's the harmony. Is that something that we only experience when we've gotten to that final point, their achievement? Or can there be harmony when we're on the journey? Ikigai would say that that purpose is experienced on the journey.
2: Yeah, it has to be. It it absolutely has to be because you, you have an end destination in mind and that's what you are working towards and progressing towards. And so as the things are falling into place, you should be experiencing the joy of that as they're coming together.
1: That's really what stood out to me when you're going through the five rules of Ikigai is this reminder that it's not about outcomes it's about the mindset it's about the journey and and i think to sum up what kind of the question you're asking yeah like when we are in that moment right kind of in that harmony of ikigai there's happiness there there's definitely happiness there
2: i think one important thing is that like that's not tied specifically to outcomes, right? Because you don't know what those outcomes necessarily mean in the grand scheme of your life. So that's that's one important thing that you said there. Just wanna make sure everybody hears that
0: again. So if that's the case, then even in the midst of struggle where there are some challenges going on, as long as we're living in a way that's true to ourselves, we can be happy.
1: Boom. That's it,
0: man. That's what it's all about. 100%. That's that's game changing then. If if happiness isn't something that we achieve or something that we win or an end result, but it's in living out the discovered truth, the searched truth.
1: Game changer.
2: Dude, I think that hits hard. I think that hits hard. I think a lot of people need that. Cuz like, you know, looking at this model, I'm like, wow. Like I've unintentionally been working Like on that, on each guy, yeah, and you know, personally, I feel like I'm in it. I feel, and I feel like it's in being in a process of like still uncovering, like you know, all everything. But I feel like I'm in that in that zone.
1: That's awesome, man! What a way to end 2021.
2: Yeah, I think that's what I. I think like reflecting
0: on 2021. I think that's what I have achieved. (laughs) I could see it from an outsider's perspective. You know, I'm not living your life, but. I hear Steve waking up super early, getting to work, putting in the those deep sessions, just excited, driving everything forward, and then spending time outside, taking care of the other things. You have family stuff. I saw you out at the ball game on your birthday, taking care of Milo. Trying to hit the big things, the big important things here. So I'm happy for you, man. Appreciate that. I think that's gonna wrap it up for us here today. And for this year, these first few episodes have been all about setting the foundation for who we are and for putting us in the perspective of living this journey. Starting in the new year, we'll be discussing topics like these with people in all walks of life and also taking on some contemporary issues for things that we're dealing with to continually strive to find that new place of harmony. So Steve, as always, I'd like to thank you for being with us today.
2: Thanks for being on the journey with me.
0: It's a pleasure to see you grow, man. Plenty more magic to come, Nate. Jake. Great insight as always, bringing it together. Thanks for sharing this time with us.
1: Hey man, always a pleasure. See you next year,
0: Matt. It was great to have you on again. Uh, I know it's been a while, but we're looking forward to having you with us more frequently in the new year. You
3: know, thanks for having me. It was it was great. It was an awesome discussion, and I, like you said, I look forward to uh, to more of these episodes.
0: Well, that's all folks. Season one is a wrap. As a team, we've learned a lot about ourselves and podcasting and are excited to be taking big strides in season two. Join us for the premiere on Tuesday, January 4th, as we start building on this season one foundation and take big strides in the great conversation. We're looking forward to new ways of engaging with you, our listeners, and are interested in your thoughts on this great adventure of life. If you're interested in appearing as a guest on the show, email us at podcastdoorward.com at and I'll be reaching out to you personally for a conversation. If you or someone you know is interested in Doorward, please visit or recommend Doorward.com and check us out on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Till next time, I'm your host, Nate LeBlanc, reminding everyone to seek care in the ways we really need. So we can finally get back to living.
2: You need any more clips from us, Nate?
1: <laughs> I <laughs> think we're we gonna go all day. <laughs>